When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. of Purple Insider, Matthew Collar here, along with Will Rankins of Sports Illustrated, covers the Vikings, as you all know. And uh, we're inside TCO Performance Center following Kwesi Adafo Mensa's press conference, so we're going to attempt to parse through that. Um, but I think Kwesi is less specific than Rick Spielman was in the past about how he feels about positions and depth of draft and things like that. So we're going to answer the questions that Quasi was answer, uh, asked to answer. Uh, and we're going to do our best to give more specifics <laughs> than he was giving today. But uh, first, Will, A, how are you? And B, we have something cool to announce involving you. So what's going on? Yeah, I'm doing well. Um, would you like, would you, should we start with that? Yeah, let's start with that. So uh, going forward... You are going to be doing a weekly show here on the Purple Insider podcast. What do we call it? The feed? Is that what we call it? Sure. So each week, you're going to either do a show with Paul Hodewanik or uh, you're going to interview somebody else. There's a lot of Sports Illustrated writers that cover different teams, but you know, you're kind of wide open to interview whoever you want. And I wanted you to do this because, A, you've been a great guest on the show, and also, I feel like um, just it's, it's an opportunity for you to do some podcasting like you're always writing and everybody who follows you on Twitter is seeing you write all the time. But there's other than our your guest appearances, not a podcast that you have um, that's where you can kind of give your hot takes. So I wanted to give you an opportunity to do that and also interview people. And um, also, I think you do really good work and, and I want our listeners to hear you as well. So you will be doing a show each week and I'm really excited about it. Yeah, I'm really excited about it too. And, and that's a good point that you made. A lot of times I'm, I'm listening to your show and it's just the amount of the platform that you have to give off so many different takes and really dive into them is, is so much different in, in audio than it is in writing. And I'm like trying to give these same takes and I'm, I don't want to write 3000 words about this right now, but I, I could. So it'll, it'll be nice to have that and be able to. Um, come on every week and, and talk about what's going on and, and share my takes and talk with Paul or whoever. And uh, I anticipate definitely doing putting some uh, feelers out for questions on Twitter and, and seeing what you guys want to know and, and what I can answer there. So, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Well, you are very free to borrow from fans only anytime you want. Uh, people have really enjoyed the fans only podcasts, so you are certainly open to do those as well. Uh, but I'm looking forward to seeing what you come up with and listening to your show. You listen to mine. I'm interested to listen to yours, uh, even though it'll be on my platform. So I'm, I'm excited about that. And I would congratulate you, but that seems weird because like, <laughs> I made the decision. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so uh, look forward to that. We haven't decided on like what day that's going to be yet uh, each week, but it'll be an additional show for all of you guys to listen to. And I know Will's going to do a great job. So 
let's talk about all right maybe i should give a whole press conference about this um <laughs> and you can ask and we could talk about our collaborative culture and so forth um uh, but we just got done listening to quasi adafo mensa and i thought he was asked really good questions and he mostly wanted to sort of focus on really really broad strokes so we can't come in and say quasi said they're taking a corner folks um, but I do think that one, one thing is not- notable is when he talked about the trade down thing, I think that he has a really specific idea of what value is that maybe Rick Spielman did not. And when he's talking about like what it costs and looking for that other team that is sitting in a room believing that player X or player Y is the answer for their franchise, it's almost like he knows that there's a lot of fallacies involved with that, that maybe other teams and other scouty GMs believe in. And it made me feel like, and, and I know I'm, I might be stretching because he did not come out and say this. We're going to have to do some stretching today. But it made me feel like the trade down thing, and he talked about you know, there's a lot of phone calls going on. The trade down thing, if we were ranking all possibilities, is number one for me. Yeah, I... It's certainly a lot more likely than trading up, and I've felt like that throughout this whole process. I mean, the Vikings historically never trade up. I mean, it's a new GM, so you don't really know. But I've always felt like since since Quasey came over that the analytical approach is going to favor trading down and taking advantage of somebody, which he did allude to. Somebody could talk themselves into this quarterback or this offensive lineman fixing all of their woes and making them a contender next season and, and taking advantage of that um, desperation, if you want to call it, and, and getting value out of that. And he talked about um, kind of there's there's historical benchmarks for, for success and value at every pick, and they're trying to meet that and, and exceed it. So uh, I came into this thinking that – a trade down was was very much on the table, especially if there, there's a there's a group of players, the defensive backs uh, at the top of the class. That if the, if those guys are off the board, uh, I think there will be a lot of kind of flat value that they might see. And this is just me projecting and, and what we know about the draft class from from 12 to 20, even even in the mid 20s, there there might not be that much of a drop off. So I think. It's oversimplifying it always to to, to say analytics, and but I, I think that kind of value and, and data based approach is going to favor uh, potentially moving down. Yeah, he said. So I, I I tweeted out the quote: "Special players do matter, but you have a big team and depth is needed." Uh, and you know, I think that kind of points to like, if he's saying special players matter, that's really true. But what special players will there be at number 12? That's the question. And, you know, I think maybe a little higher in this draft, there could be some. Kayvon Thibodeau, Aiden Hutchinson, these players who are going to go maybe number one through number five have a chance to be special. But even then, a lot of the draft analysts don't believe that these are Hall of Fame type of prospects. And when you get to number 12, there's the Derek Stingley Jr. thing who has a chance to be a special player. Kyle Hamilton might if he drops to that point. I'm not really convinced that he will. The receivers are pretty hard to say which one could be a special player, if any, outside of Jamison Williams, who is also expected to be taken uh, you know, in the top 10 now, as the talk has been recently. He's recovered well from his ACL injury and so forth. And, and so it feels like if Stingley, Williams, and Hamilton aren't there, those are three guys with like Pro Bowl potential. Then you have a pretty serious drop off after that. That's how it feels to me. And, and in that situation, 
you want to trade back and you want to pick up more picks later. And the other thing, too, is that this team just doesn't have developmental players that they've drafted in the mid to late rounds that we're sitting here talking about, oh, well, this guy, you know, he's got a chance. And Kenny Wongwu is a running back. And so, like, I, I mean, you could throw his name out there or Wyatt Davis, who we haven't seen. That's a big question mark. But there's not like this bevy of dudes who were saying, oh, man, there's like eight guys who could take that next step next year. And, and so I, it really feels like they just need more bodies. They just need more people. They need the sort of cliche, more darts to throw looking for bullseyes than they do this number 12 overall player versus that one, unless it's one of those guys. Yeah, unless it's it's like a sauce Gardner falls, which seems really unlikely. But now there's been some buzz that maybe Stingley will go ahead of him after all. Uh, the, the whole pre-draft season is so funny because it's like four months long. So you have to talk yourself into every possibility and discuss everything. And it's just the whole prospect fatigue thing gets. I, I'm, I'm glad the draft is here is what I'm saying. But I definitely agree with you that. This team needs more depth. They've had a lot of kind of whiffs uh, on, on the mid to late round guys recently. I still have no clue why they drafted Jazz Surratt in the third round last year. Um, but so, and they also have a, a a big gap as a result of we're not going to be. I'm not going to be dunking on Rick Spielman all day, but oh, you can, you can. It's allowed. <laughs> they don't have a fourth round pick because they traded it for Chris Herndon, so they don't pick for after 77 in the third round until like. 156 or something in the fifth so that's a big a big gap that I imagine they may want to fill because there's there's a lot of talent in that top 100 even um, late in the fourth round sometimes uh, so I, I think just from that perspective a, a trade down makes a lot of sense to add more another pick if you can in that in that top 100 uh, and I think also looking forward to next year I know this is a team that's uh, in win now mode based on everything that they've done in free agency and and uh, kind of what we've heard, but uh, the 2023 draft class is there's there's a lot of early buzz about some uh, top guys there and and uh, things of that nature. So I think if you can get a team uh, to to move up in the first round, maybe give you a 2023 first rounder, that could be uh, kind of the savvy approach as well because of the way that those the future picks tend to be devalued in the moment when when teams are like I want this quarterback right now. Uh, there was this kind of a baseline with that from what we saw with the Bears uh, trading up for Justin Fields last year, and they gave the Giants their first round pick, which ended up being like the number seven pick. So uh, if you could do something like that, I think that would be uh, appealing as well. I do think I would probably say that sitting at 12 is more likely than trading back. Um, I don't know if you I think you disagree with that, but uh, in, in a pie chart, I think they'd be pretty close. But um, the the issue being that there may be a decent number of teams that want to trade back because they see this same phenomena where after the top few guys, there's no slam dunks. There's there's injury risks and and there's kind of depth within the first round. So you need to, you need to find somebody that wants to come up. Um, you could want to trade back, but you, you can't just call somebody and say, hey, we're trading back. They have, they have to have somebody they want to move up for. Well, you mentioned how long draft season is, and I probably have gone back and forth on this. Because every time I draft Sim, there is somebody there who is like really a good prospect. I mean, sometimes in the draft Sims, it's Jamison Williams. Sometimes it's Kyle Hamilton. Sometimes it's Malik Willis. And if all of these people are drafted in the top 10, that means that somebody else who's been projected has to drop out of that 
I wonder if the tackles are going to go as high as people think they are, like just because they're maybe the better prospects that like, if you're the New York giants, this is the one I can't really understand. And maybe they'll do this, but they're just being projected a tackle all the time. Like, well, Andrew Thomas played a lot better last year. Like, are you really spending another draft pick, another really high draft pick on a tackle when you just drafted one with Andrew Thomas? So like, maybe there will be guys uh, who slipped farther from the tackle position because I think there's like three or four who are projected in the top 10. I just don't see that happening. Um, but if one of those players is there, Stingley, Hamilton, Williams, that would be a no-brainer. You just take that player and never think about it again. Aside from that, though, that's where it seems like the trade down. But I, I mean, I agree with what you said, that like I've got the slight edge to trade down by 5% over staying at 12 and I don't think there's any chance they trade up but that might be the surprise that we end up getting because you know it's like it's weird to talk about what draft night surprises could be because they're surprises <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean but but unexpected goes under the trade up and he actually mentioned this because we've just gone on like the broad analytics well analytics say don't trade up but he mentioned that last year Cleveland traded up to take Jeremiah Wusu koromoa uh, the linebacker from Notre Dame. In the Dame second round, dropped. but still, yeah. yeah. In the second round. And I guess there is a part of me that thinks, like, if they have this, here's the elite prospects in this draft that we could potentially pick because tackles are just off the board. And then here's the next drop-off, and it's a big drop-off to the next wave of prospects. Like, let's say that it's number 10, and Jamison Williams is still there, or Kyle Hamilton, but the next prospects you have after those two guys are pretty far down from where you have them in terms of however they evaluate prospects. In that case, that's the special player thing that he talked about. And in that case, maybe you do try to trade up depending on the cost. The problem is like, what is the cost? And for a non-quarterback, the cost might be reasonable. And, and maybe you should do that because you're looking for game changers with your franchise. Like teams that win have like seven game-changing players and then just depth 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 like even the Rams they have like seven game changers and then it's just all depth guys and I mean the Vikings right now I don't know I don't like they don't have either I mean they have some game changers but they don't have uh enough to, yeah. to, to get over the top if they did they would have already yeah it, it's do you need the more more game-changing players or do you need more depth and, and you need both uh but what moves the needle more is going to be those players that are going to have kind of an outsized impact on the game. And I, I maintain that it would be absolutely shocking if they traded up, just it just because it never happens. I, I, they haven't done it since 1987, which that doesn't matter what, what past Vikings regimes have done, obviously, but that's just to put it in context. Um, I, I, I think you're right, though, that he talked about I – mean, he had a, had a good line that was maybe a little bit of Rick Spielman shade that uh, all the seventh-round picks in the world – are not going to equate to the value, even if even if there's some chart that says it might of of the top pick and, and of a first round pick. So, um, yeah, if, if like Derek Stingley Jr. is, is falling and you think that uh, the Commanders at eleven are probably going to take him, you might as well at least call the the Jets at ten or or the Seahawks at nine or whatever it might be and and see what it might take to get that. Because if it's not, if you can do that with like a couple day three picks, then maybe. Um, maybe the analytics do say that that's the the correct approach is to go get uh, that guy who's going to have a big a big make a big difference uh, and, and fill an important need for you. Which which he did address that yes they do ha have needs that they uh, 
plan on filling that's not just going to be like strictly best player available because they're not going to draft a tackle like you said when they already have have two in place okay can we debate whether it was shade or not I don't think it was shade. Maybe it wasn't. I don't think it was. I mean, I think that when you tweet the quote, it seems like shade <laughs> because, uh, like, as soon as you mentioned seventh round picks, like, that was Spielman's thing, having four or five, six or seventh round draft picks. But, I mean, his point is just that, like you said, like the Jimmy Johnson chart. Now, the Jimmy Johnson chart actually overvalues the, the very top of the draft mm. historically. But uh, that if you have a chart that's telling you how much pick is worth – for whatever pick 256 versus pick number one that even if a team could offer you 30 of those seventh rounders the chances that any of them turn out are probably less than one first rounder yeah um so i when he's talking about trading back i think his point is just like you have to be careful and this is a mistake that i i think that the vikings did make with spielman that it became kind of like a meme or a joke but you know he'd be trading back in the middle of the third that's usually the end of where there's good prospects is that middle of the third. He'd be, tra- he'd be trading for the middle of the third out of the third. Like that's the last really horizon of where these guys actually succeed, man. Yeah. And, and you're just like taking yourself out of that conversation to even get someone who might be halfway decent there. So you can get more fifths and sixths and sevenths where the odds just plummet uh, after probably the middle of the third round. And so I don't expect that Kwesi Adafo Mensa will have missed all of that. Um, here's a question I have for you, though, that I think is the fundamental question of this draft. So we know that Kwesi is an incredibly intelligent guy, and he's as well-researched as anybody you're ever going to run across. He is pressing the analytics people, and he's gathering his algorithms and all these things. And so this is a big brain dude. However, one of the things that this team would do in the past is – they would acquiesce to their coaches and it would be like, well, Zimmer wanted this guy or Andre Patterson wanted that guy. We heard that all the time. Uh, Kennedy Palomalu, who was actually great at picking running backs, uh, but like Kennedy wanted this guy. So he stood on the table for him. So that's why we picked him. I wonder if that's actually going to be different or not, you know, because they're putting together all their scenarios and they handled free agency like it was very much the coaching staff's free agency and they got what they wanted on the defensive side. Ed Donatel got his players. Mike Pettin got his guy. A lot of a lot of people who had connections in the past to the coaching staff. Yeah. Right, right. So is this – because Kwesi would not put it on himself. He was like, oh, well, it's not Kwesi's draft. It's the organization's draft. Okay, I get that. But really, whose draft is it? Because at the end of the day, someone has to push the button and make the decision. And something that Rick Spielman was criticized for by people within the team was that he didn't listen – to his scouts he didn't listen to the analytics people when they said don't draft this guy or draft that guy but usually you kind of have to be that so I mean is that sort of like passing the buck to well it's not my fault if the guy busts or is it like or or is it that he's just going to let everybody else kind of make the decision for him or is he just sort of saying that and then he makes the call because honestly I think somebody has to be the guy in the room who takes responsibility for the pick. And if you're all, if you're always going to say, "Well, it was all, it was everybody's pick," they're like, "No, it's your pick. You're like, you're the GM. That's why they gave you this job because you are the one in command." And as well, you know, red as the man is, I think I want him making these picks and saying, "All right, there's a decision between three guys. Quasi, you make the call because you're the guy who's here because you know the most. That's why you have the top job."
With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yeah, no, there, there has to be a balance. And it was it was kind of funny that he said, like, no, this isn't this isn't my draft. I don't have any certain stamp on this. This is our draft. Like, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna be the one who ultimately is going to get judged for the success or or failure of these players that get picked. And I know there's going to be a lot of collaboration happening with with scouts and with coaches and and with uh, your analytics staff and all that. But yeah, I I think the hope probably for fans is that he's he's saying this and and that there will be a lot of collaboration and that's good and you like like Kwesi always says you take all of these different um data points and all these different um kind of inputs and, and you turn it into one one output but he has to be the one to make that choice and he has to be the one to um kind of stand on that whether whether it works or not um I, I think there's going to be it, like the coaching staff and he's he's talked about working hand-in-hand uh, hand with Kevin O'Connell, and um, t- he praised Kevin O'Connell for, for kind of understanding the personnel side of things, and there's going to be input from them, uh, but at the end of the day, you have to take the, the player that's going to fit your scheme, but just be the best player and, and have the most likelihood of turning into a star, and um, yeah, he's going to have to be the one to, to make that call. Well, and that's what I mean is that like ultimately, which is his favorite word, yeah. but it's also one of mine too. Uh, so I can't criticize it. Everybody has one of those words that they use a lot. And I think ultimately is both his and mine. But, you know, it, at the end of the day, there's another one. Yeah. It's That's go- Adam Thielen's yes, favorite. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, we, could, we could do a whole show on who has the best, like, crutch word. But it's going to be on him. Like, that's who owns the draft that's who the general manager is. And everybody in every front office in the NFL works with lots of other people to gather this information. But you have to be the one that makes that call. Uh, and, you know, I think that they can draw up as many scenarios as they want, but there will always be ones that they don't anticipate of guys who are there. And he's saying, well, you know, the draft uh, was, was very calm when I was in Cleveland. Like, no, it's not, man. It's usually kind of a mess. Like, we know that if you're the GM, like there's people making phone calls and there's things flying around and there's trades being done and there's rumors out there. And I mean, imagine that you're saying, oh, it's well, I, you know, I expect us to have all the answers going into it. And then a dude has a gas mask bong all of a sudden. <laughs> like, then what do you do? Remember, Lael Collins was like a person of interest in a murder all of a sudden. Like the, the, there are things that happen on draft night that are just wild. And I guess I'll be interested to see how his comments change through the years and, and even through like different times talking with us as he goes along in this job, because he seems like a guy who does all the homework and is completely ready for this, but there's things that you just can't anticipate. Um, now let me ask you about a different subject entirely because he would not speak on the corners, Mm -hmm. but uh, on the matter of the corners that was, I thought it was a good question of just like, well, you know, what do you think of the corner depth in this draft? And will you have opportunities? If Stingley and Sauce Gardner are gone, mm-hmm. like, what do you think they'll do? Like, McDuffie is the next guy that everybody has on their list. Uh, Andrew Booth is a guy from Clemson who's 
supposed to be like a what like lower ceiling higher floor type of solid player do you think that they would would just take a corner there like does do, do they take a corner that's not named sauce Gardner or Derek Stingley because I, I tend to think that the answer is no but I guess I wonder what in you the think first of those, round specifically yeah, in the first round I guess I, I wonder what you think of those other guys I yeah my thinking is that I would be I would be surprised if they took a corner at 12. That isn't one of those two guys because those seem to be the two that the value is there to take them at 12. There's a high likelihood for both players that they will at the very least be a, a Trey Wayne's level corner who you took at 11 back in 2015 with with the the chance to be a Xavier Rhodes type. Play. I mean, he, he had a, a brief prime, but he was a very good corner um, for a few years there. So. Uh, McDuffie is a, is a really popular pick I've seen in a lot of mock drafts. I just you, you talk about the data stuff and, and the algorithms and analytics and um, all these different variables that you're trying to consider. And um, he said, like all things being equal, does this one variable predict uh, different outcomes? And one of those variables are the the measurements and the um, the physical traits. And Trent McDuffie has really short arms and. That's just a, a thing where you look back historically and you look at all of the uh, the cornerbacks who have sub 30 inch arms and uh, it's like who's the best like Troy Hill for the Rams maybe the best one out of that group so um, th- there's always outliers with with things like physical traits or whatever variable you want to talk about um, but more often than not the NFL is is going to be betting on that there's a reason they have the combine and the pro days and they want those numbers like. More often than not, they're going to be betting on the is overused, but the Neil, the Neil Hunters, to the the guys with elite physical traits, who maybe the production isn't there. And and there's a lot of things to like from from in Trent McDuffie's game. He's extremely intelligent, great instincts, great great technique. But at some point, um, all of that only matters so much when you're facing these freakishly big and fast wide receivers in the NFL. So, yeah, to answer your question, I would be surprised if they took. McDuffie or, or anyone else at 12 if they trade back uh, in the first round that's when I could start to see them like if McDuffie's there you, you feel better about the value there uh, similar to last year like I don't know if the Vikings necessarily wanted to take Christian Derrissaw at 14 but at 23 um, you, you like that value a lot more uh, Andrew Booth uh, Kair Elam from Florida um, Kyler Gordon is another Washington corner there's there's a lot of corners in that projected top 50 range to the point where if you don't get one of the top two guys, you, they're not going to feel like they have to uh, kind of reach for one. Uh, and I think that's why you needed to re-sign Patrick Peterson and, and um, bring in Chandon Sullivan. Just uh, those aren't stars at, at, by any means, but they give you the, the flexibility to not feel cornered into, well, I shouldn't, cornered into yeah, taking a corner. You know, See, the, and I'll this is why it. you're getting a show here <laughs> on Purple Insider because of what, what you just did. Um, okay, was there another question to you that stood out that you think that we should answer that he didn't really answer? Um, well, uh, another one of the variables that he was asked about was uh, in, in Cleveland, there was a recent um, kind of graphic or something that w- that was posted where by far, they took the youngest players in the draft. Um, and, and Chad Graff asked, asked Quasey about that, and he kind of, like, he, he didn't really answer it. He, I think he kind of alluded to that maybe being a thing that they would prefer. 
Um, if if all things are equal, would I take the 21 year old or the 23 year old? I, my sense is he'd take the 21 year old, but then he was like, "But there's also things that you don't get with a younger player that you get with an older player." He kind of he, he didn't really answer it, which is why we are trying to answer it. Um, so my my thinking is that they would take the younger player just because of the potential for development. At at 23, you're usually more of kind of a defined product as a prospect than you might be at at 21. Um, and so w- with a real kind of example of that is, is like Jermaine Johnson, the edge rusher uh, from Florida State who transferred from Georgia, Minnesota native. So that, that would be a cool story. But I believe he's 23. Um, and, and so – I'm thinking I don't know if that's going to be the pick just from the the data and and analytics perspective and with Kwesi coming from Cleveland and and those past tendencies. Um, I I can't think of a a younger defensive end off the top of my head who they might take at at 12 instead, but um, I I would lean towards expecting them to take uh, a younger player like a a Derek Stingley or, or somebody like that. Yeah, I would too. And I think that the way he put it was sort of all things being equal. So if they have an equal grade on two prospects, they'll just take the younger guy. Yeah, you're not taking a younger guy over somebody you have graded much higher just because they're younger, but it can be a a tiebreaker of sorts. I think what the numbers say from, you know, I read a study that was a little more in depth than what that chart said was that 20 and 21 are okay. 22 is probably similar. 23, 24 is where you should really, really be sure that you want to take that guy. I mean, think of like the Brandon Whedon's, the Hayden Hurst's, the Garrett Bradbury's, like guys who are 24 and up. If you're taking them in the first round, that's pretty tough because that is a finished product player. Uh, and, and you're not getting a whole lot of development of that guy. So when you say, well, this is his weakness in college, well, that's going to be his weakness in the NFL. Like you can't fix it when he's going to be 24 years old. Uh, by the way, Football Outsiders just posted the grinding the mocks consensus mock which Mm -hmm. if you follow benjamin robinson on twitter he will make these charts of all the mocks and where they have different guys and he'll follow their trends which is hilarious because they'll have been done playing college football so long ago and yet they're moving all over the board of their stock rising and falling and every time it's funny but he has the vikings taking kyle hamilton in this uh that you know, like putting together all of the trends and all of the mocks and where they think everyone's value is going to be. It's got Kyle Hamilton. I think that, you know, that's something we haven't really talked about is what would we walk away from saying, wow, I mean, they they hit a home run. They just did a great job in this draft. I think, like, for example, when they got Justin Jefferson, I don't know how everybody else felt, but I remember thinking, I can't believe they got Justin Jefferson. I just, like, this guy absolutely dominated college football had a 97th percentile athletic score from the combine and they actually landed him in the 20 i mean yeah. i had and, th- and fell because like people thought he might only be able to play in the slot for some reason right yeah right and that whole lead up we had talked about and you're not going to be able to replace Stephon Diggs, man. I mean, it's just going to be hard because I didn't expect that guy to be there. Um, Kyle Hamilton might be that guy for this draft that if he's there and they take him, I think we all go, I mean, what, what a stroke of luck to have this player because of a weird 40 score at his pro day end up falling in your lap. But it does seem realistic. Yeah, and, and I don't pretend to be this this draft expert who grinds all the film and everything, but 
Kyle Hamilton does feel like the perfect example of the prospect fatigue I was talking about because there was there's been a lot of time throughout early in this uh, in this draft cycle back in the winter like he was talked about as a top five pick like potentially a top three pick just because he's kind of a a unique player kind of a unicorn of, of a safety with his size um, it, his speed I think is still kind of a positive trait if you like just his his game speed and the way he's able to um, ID things and then. Uh, just close and, and and make plays whether it's against the run or or breaking up a pass um some guys it just doesn't the, the 40 just isn't great for them for whatever reason and that can be different from the actual game speed so yeah I I, I agree I think if if Kyle Hamilton is there at 12 I've my stance all along has been that that you make that pick and um what a perfect scenario for him to come into with with Harrison Smith I mean being from the same school doesn't really mean anything, but it's kind of a cool little side story if if they were to draft Kyle Hamilton. But what a perfect mentor Harrison Smith, one of the best safeties of the last decade, would be for a young guy playing alongside of him for a couple of years. And then eventually the, the hope would be that Kyle Hamilton becomes that Harrison Smith type player. And um, Cam Bynum is kind of penciled in as the starter. And uh, I wasn't here last week, but apparently he said he wants to be the greatest football player of all time, which I have to respect that mentality. Um, but he has not, he had two good games last year when, when Smith was on the COVID list. He is not a, a guy who you're going to say, well, we, we, we're not drafting a safety because we have Cam Bynum. Like, um, Ed Donatel could find ways to get him onto the field. He was a corner in college. Like, you could. See, give him some reps in the slot in training camp or, or just play him as like a box defender and or sub packages, things like that. There are, there are ways to make that work. That is not prohibitive by any means. So I I think Kyle Hamilton would be a guy. Kyle Hamilton and, and, and Stingley, I've, I still – Stingley or Gardner, those, those, any of those three defensive backs, um, whether at 12 or with a slight move up, I think you come away saying they did really well in the first round. So what sort of keeps going through my mind is what would have to happen on draft night for all of us to say nailed it and for the fans to – like I think that there's a, a very large percentage of the fan base who has been frustrated by this offseason. And I think you're right if you're that person to look at this offseason and go, how did we help ourselves get closer to a championship in – in this offseason and I don't have a good answer for you with the moves that have been made so far I think they got themselves back to where they were last year like at a baseline drafting Kyle Hamilton does not get you closer to a championship like at this moment like if he comes in and plays well next year a safety we've seen this before even the person playing next to Harrison Smith Anthony Harris like that doesn't say championship title you know raise the Lombardi but I do think that when you're looking for foundational players who can be stars in the future, like that's you either want to come out with a bunch of guys that you traded back for or somebody who you can say that about. Mm-hmm. Somebody who could say, this is the guy in the future who is going to be talked about as the centerpiece of offense or defense or one of the centerpieces of offense or defense of a great team as you project forward because you don't draft just for this year. 2024 is a year where they're going to have a lot of changes on this roster, probably the way that they've set up contracts. Like by then you want this guy to be foundational piece that you talk about like, well, look, you know, this team is revamping a lot of spots, but they have Kyle Hamilton, Christian Derrissaw, Justin Jefferson, their first round picks who were home runs. Like 
that's what you're hoping for. And I think that you can come away from this draft. It is possible for the fan base to come away from this draft with a player like that where you would be saying, all right, I don't know how much that changes things today, but I certainly know that this looks like the best possible prospect you could have gotten to be a foundational piece in the future. Like I, I, I think that only about three guys that get mocked to them, and it's Hamilton, Stingley, and Williams. And aside from that, then you just want a lot of dudes. And then you can have a grand time. Like, oh, we had three-thirds again. Remember how much fun that was? It didn't yeah. matter, but it was fun. Uh, but I think they would do a better job than this. This draft is different. If they get thirds in this draft, that, that to me is way more valuable than thirds last year because there was like half a draft class last year mm-hmm. for guys who actually came out. So I don't know. I think that like goals for excitement level for fans should be to land that type of player that you could say you got a steal here. You got somebody who could be a game changer in the future. Yeah, that's interesting that I mean, you mentioned this earlier, but that you include Jamison Williams in that in that top tier. Just is that just like the the field stretching ability that he would bring? And I mean, he was he was really really good at Alabama. There's there's the ACL, but um, is that you 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 think that they they might take a receiver like that? I don't know if yeah. they will. I mean, I think that there's been you know a a, a really good argument made for it um, by me. No. Yeah, no, and, and I, I had the same. I had the situation. We were doing a a mock draft with all of the the SI team sites, and all those top defensive backs were gone, and I was there at twelve, and I, I took Williams as well, just because I think like okay, yeah. the the upside of uh, of what he can bring, and I it was it, we were supposed to do what do you think the team will pick, not what do you want to pick. It, it kind of matched up for me, but I do think with Kevin O'Connell. Uh, being right there side by side in this whole process and having input um, that that his presence is a reason that receiver would not be surprising because that would that would be a very like forward thinking offensive move that uh, Adam Thielen's getting up there in age a little bit um, yeah we have some depth with with KJ Osborne and Amir Smith Marset and BC Johnson but are any of those guys ever going to be like a true number two at least or, or a number one definitely not but right. so it, you take another guy with with the potential to be a number one and um pair those two and uh we haven't really gotten into the the topic that comes up every time you talk about the vikings yet but if they do eventually get that quarterback sometime in the future that um is going to be the number one difference maker for getting closer to a championship uh putting them in the best situation possible and I'm also I mean for right now giving Kirk uh the, the most weapons possible that adding a receiver could could make a lot of sense right the case that's just the most compelling to me is the wide receiver but most specifically Jamison Williams yeah because I just think he's a better prospect than the other guys yeah like I, I, Garrett Wilson Ohio State is, is pretty dang good I mean there's there's a lot of them but I think Williams might just have something something special over those w- yeah when you match up like the physical traits that he has the even just height and weight Mm -hmm. like Garrett Wilson is pretty undersized and you know I I don't know how much there is to that there have been undersized guys who have success but Williams is just a different speed and that's what I always look for now you know I'm not a scout I read a lot of very smart people on these guys and I watch a lot of the film breakdowns and everything else to try to get expert analysis and the one thing everybody keeps coming back to with him is just that he has a jetpack on his back and that to me usually is pretty good like in terms of correlating to success 
And even the low end of the guy is still, you can use him for something special. Yeah. Play, this playmaking ability. I don't know if he's going to be there because now there's the buzz that he could be a top 10 pick. And the same with Stingley. So it's like these guys who maybe smoke screens were trying to get to drop. But I do think that the most compelling argument for them short and long term is to take a, a wide receiver. It's just if it's not him, the drop off, I think, is serious enough to where maybe you'd look a l- you'd try to trade back a few spots. Yeah. But all, you know, I know, all I know is if they take Drake London from USC, the uh, the Treadwell comparisons oh, made on Twitter are going to be uh, exhausting and also potentially not completely unfair because he's like he's that big the that big mold who maybe will struggle to separate, um, which I think is the most important trait. Just having watched Justin Jefferson over yep. the last few years, I think you have to be able to to separate and. Um, that's something that Williams and and maybe the Ohio State guys as well um, can, can do at a really high level. That maybe Drake London will be a great player, but that is not the pick that I would make. Not running the forty is pretty concerning to me. Yeah, I mean, why wouldn't you do it unless you knew you were going to run a four seven or something, yeah. right? I mean, I don't know, uh, but that that might be us overthinking it as well. So let's uh, talk real quick about the quarterback and the fact that nobody nobody had the heart. After that, you know, in deep into that press conference to ask Quasey about the quarterback since we had already been shot down on almost everything else. Um, but, I mean, we're kind of at that point where it's like we've talked about every possible option, who we like the most, like what more is to be said about this quarterback class that's not particularly good. But answer it as if you were Quasey telling the truth. Mm-hmm. Okay, if I asked you... Uh, hey, Will Adolfo Mensa, like, what do you think of you know picking a quarterback in the first or second round of this draft, especially when these guys have been talked about as maybe not being like sure thing prospects? And you're you're doing it truth serum, Quasi. Yeah, truth serum, Quasi. I w- I would say, well, you know, we've done a lot of work uh, on these quarterbacks because uh, this is going back to what he told us at at the combine that he 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 liked the the quarterback class. I don't know. If how much of truth serum quasi that actually was, but um, I, I think it's something you always have to consider. Uh, and this is me being quasi again. That um, like that's the most important position in football. Um, we have a guy who is a, a very good quarterback, but who is also making a very large amount of money, uh, which may be a problem when we have to pay Justin Jefferson the uh, nearly as much money. Maybe not quite as much, but almost. Uh, in in a couple of years, um, so we always are going to be looking long term and our our time horizons, which is one of his favorite things. I'm to glad say. you worked um, that in there. Uh, our time horizons, we're always going to be exploring uh, the quarterback position, and uh, all these quarterbacks actually suck, and uh, we're going to wait till next year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I think no, but but seriously, I, I, I mean, if it's an interesting question, like if Malik Willis is there at twelve, do you? take the swing and take him or do you like hold the Steelers and pit pit all those teams behind you uh in a bidding war to get a bunch of value for moving back because I think somebody would probably come up and, and get Malik Willis if he's there or maybe even Kenny Pickett or or whatever like teams teams are gonna get desperate with the quarterbacks because if you don't have one and the Vikings for all we say about Kirk Cousins they have a, they have a starting quarterback who they like and feel good about and um is a is a highly productive player in the NFL they're going to be teams that might might get desperate. So it's a very and, and even like Desmond Ritter in the second, I don't think he's going to be there. But or or Carson Strong or like would they 
would they sacrifice the immediate benefit of taking someone who can contribute right away for for kind of the the wild card like lottery ticket? I'm I'm not sure. I think Truth Serum Kwesi would tell you that his scouts are telling me do not draft these quarterbacks. <laughs> like yeah. that that nobody there now maybe Willis uh, and Rick Spielman of all people. Uh, oh yeah, he's come out and been on TikTok talking about how much he loves Malik Willis. <laughs> I mean, it's all just too rich, right? It's all just too good. But Rick Spielman is a scout, and he knows how to scout football players, scout traits, what they do well, what the pitfalls might be. Like he knows that. I've never doubted that he really knows how to be a scout in the NFL. Some of the value decisions not great, Chris Herndon, but. It, I do think that there's probably a lot of people looking at Malik Willis and saying you have to pick a guy with that kind of arm and you have to pick a guy with that type of speed because even the low end of that player might be a guy who's dynamic in the running game and still hits on big plays. Like what if he's like Kyler Murray in that way? That NFL Kyler Murray, who is a much better prospect than Malik Willis, but NFL Kyler Murray is boom or bust or run. Like bad, bad throws underneath and short, great throws deep, run, 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 run. And he's won a lot of football games doing that. And maybe if they had slightly better coaching or slightly better roster, like that team could have competed for a Super Bowl last year. They won, what, 11 games? So, like, you're right there with that type of quarterback. And if you see that, um, you know, I think there is maybe a case for it. But if it's not Malik Willis, I feel like the scouts are probably saying, I, I think you just want to wait until next year because there's all these other guys. It's just that there's a lot of teams waiting till next year. And you're not likely with Kirk Cousins to be picking in the top 10 uh, to have a chance to do that. So well, that, and that could that could go back to what I was saying earlier about if, if you can get a team convinced in, in Malik Willis, who this may be a moot point because he, he might go like second to the Lions or six to the Panthers or whatever it might be. But if you can get a team convinced that, that Desmond Ritter or, or Kenny Pickett is the guy and you can get them to maybe give you a, a first-round pick next year, that pick could be higher than than where the Vikings' first-round pick is going to be. So that could be the avenue that opens you up to to getting in the mix for those uh, those 2023 quarterbacks. Right, and, that's, and I guess that's what makes this compelling this year is just the number of options that are on the plate. In past years, there weren't that many. It's like the, the Jefferson draft, I mean, they get a transformational player – but we all knew they were, we knew they were receiver, going to take right? a wide receiver and a cornerback in the first round. Right. And they took a wide receiver and a cornerback in the first round. Right. I don't know what they're going to do this year. We truly don't know. Which is we, fun. We've made the argument for everything. Uh, so why don't, uh, the only thing I was going to add is that I do wonder if they were in the second round or if we got to the 30th pick and say three of the quarterbacks hadn't gone yet, if they would consider getting one. Uh, I always think swings at that position are – a smart play that if that guy hits, it's more important than anything else in your organization. So that is worth it. Uh, I don't think because of the collaborative nature of this whole thing, I don't think they're going to do that. I think they're going to want players now who can help them. And I also think that their scouts and coaching staff is probably saying, get me next year's quarterbacks and not these guys. But what that means to me though, is if they pass on them, and those guys become good, or their teams win, then we get to do the hindsight thing, just like we do with Mac Jones. We get to go back and say, you could have seen this coming. You could have seen this coming, that you wouldn't be able to properly project this because the NFL's been bad at it. So that will be a, an interesting hindsight thing That's to do. That's the best thing that we get to do is oh, yeah. we get to do the hindsight analysis. We don't have to 
take the uh, take the blame for terrible picks. But what I you know what I always try to do though is everything is about like picking the best path when we come up with opinions. Like what's the best path? Mm-hmm. And sometimes something wasn't the best path. Like a few years ago, I didn't know Antonio Brown was a psycho, and I thought, man. If the Vikings got Antonio Brown, who won the Super Bowl, by the way, as a wide receiver three. So let's not forget that. If they got Antonio Brown to go with Diggs and Thielen, my gosh, it would be nuts. And, you know, he worked out to be nuts. He's a crazy person. So maybe that wasn't the best take, but there at least there was the logic there of the best path. And so yeah. that's what we come up with here. Like all five quarterbacks might just bust. They might be horrible. But what are the odds of that? Like not, not super high. So... If, if they pass on all of them and one makes it, well, that's a swing that you didn't take. So that's my point. But anyway, um, so there's a difference between like hindsight and yes, you could have seen this coming. Yeah. Uh, but why don't, why don't we do this, though, before we wrap with you? Why don't you put it on record? Who do you think the Vikings will pick? All right. Ooh, putting me on the spot here. Um, well, you haven't thought about it. I, I've been thinking about it a lot. I haven't had one. In my head, I I think I'll go. I think I'll go Kyle Hamilton. Uh, I just think the the it might be overthinking, and he, he might not actually have any realistic chance of getting past like the that six to eleven range. But based on what we know right now, I don't think either of the corners, Stingley or uh, or Gardner, are going to be there. I think Kyle Hamilton with the forty time. There's a real chance that the NFL has questions about that there's a real chance that they have questions just about the 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 value of safeties um and that he gets to 12 and he's there and the the scouts are 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 talking to Quasi and saying like this guy is kind of a rare prospect at this position uh who could be a a long-term kind of foundational piece of the defense um so i will they my, my confidence in that actual pick is like 10% 10% or something, but based on what we've, what we've got right now, that's what I'm going to go with. Well, your guess is as good as mine. Yeah. So <laughs> this isn't the final show before the draft. I guess I'll put it on record, even though I've sort of said, like, these are the three guys that if they take will be great, but um, I'm still leaning toward the trade down thing, and mm-hmm. then I have no idea yeah. who they take. Andrew, and Andrew Booth Jr. is the biggest cop-out that I could possibly make. Yeah. Um, so, all right. Well, thanks for your time, Will, as always. And people can look forward to next week will be the first – what are we going to call it? Like uh, I know. I haven't, I've thought about that. I haven't come up with anything good yet, but we'll keep workshopping that. I have, so, I have something that's not appropriate to say, okay. so I'll just pass on that. <laughs> um, but we'll, we'll come up with a fun name. People should tweet us with, like, fun names – for will for his uh show but uh, i'm looking forward to what you come up with and uh, we'll talk again soon man yeah sounds good i'm excited